Hi, I'm Jesse. Let's have a devotion. In our series, Sacred Conversations, we're beginning with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the evangelist. Like we talked about yesterday, kind of make sure that you're a Christian first. And Romans 8 gives us a lot to say about this. In fact, I'll begin with perhaps one of the most controversial verses in the whole passage, perhaps the scariest, most offensive verse in this passage, verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't belong to Christ. If you came from a denominational background that said that that necessarily must be accompanied by speaking in tongues, that's heresy. Go watch our series on 1 Corinthians, particularly chapter 14, which actually demotes the gift of tongues to the least of all of the gifts. Go see our series in Acts, where we do deal with every single outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts and find the minority of them involve tongues, one of them unnecessarily so, simply to overcome Peter's prejudice against Gentiles. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't belong to Christ. The Holy Spirit brings conviction, gives us godly sorrow over our sin. The Holy Spirit calls us to walk in a new life. In the book of Galatians, we'll talk about that passage later, we, we keep in step with the Spirit, and that's echoed here. Let me zoom out from verse 9 and give it to you in a larger context now. Chapter 8 of Romans. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do since, it's, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. By the law, the Old Testament commands of God, we become aware of sin. We know the standard of God and we see how we've fallen short of it. And we were not able to do that in our flesh, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. This speaks to the moment that Jesus, in quoting Psalm 22, verse 1 from the cross, says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a fulfillment of prophecy. It fulfills the prophetic significance of Psalm 22.1, just as Psalm 34 is also fulfilled right there at the foot of the cross in the passion narrative of John's gospel. Go just skim through the book of Hebrews and see all the numerous times in which the Psalms are quoted. They're worship songs that are also prophetic in nature. Jesus was a sin offering up on the cross, and he takes on the role of a sin offering. This leads to sort of speculative theology as to the nature of a separation between the Father and the Son. We've sung about this in one of our old hymns, The Father Turned His Face Away. I believe that on the moment of Christ's death on the cross, He's fulfilling the prophetic significance of Psalm 22, verse 1. But Romans 8 is clear that in that moment, He did take upon Himself the sins of all who believe in Him with a sacrificial atonement that was sufficient to pay the full price for the sins of the whole world. See 1 John chapter 2. 
He's a sin offering in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Man, is that relatable or what? You know when you've got your mind set on the things of the flesh. Okay, you know when you have this opportunity, people from the Redemption Church are gathering on Saturday morning, like we do every Saturday morning, to go feed the homeless downtown. And you're like, you know what? I'm gonna wake up, I'm gonna have pizza for breakfast, and I'm going to veg out on Netflix, and then I'm gonna watch ESPN for hours, and those others can go and feed the homeless and like serve in the church. I know that we need more small group leaders, you know, but like, honestly, I kind of like binging shows at night, all right? And I get it, I've been there too. I know exactly what it is to struggle with the flesh. But then the Holy Spirit will say, yeah, but Jesse, we've got to serve in worship ministry. We've got to go to rehearsal every single week. We've got to work with the worship team. We've got to go help launch this homeless ministry. We've got to go recruit more small group leaders. In those moments when I'm walking in step with the Spirit, I'm doing so despite the flesh because my flesh often doesn't want to do these things, right? By the flesh, you want to gratify carnal desires. You want to be lazy. You want to even be sinful. You may have carnal desires. The flesh may call you into pornography, call you to cheat on your spouse, right? Call you to worldly stuff in place of godly pursuits. So you know what this is. When I walk in step with the Spirit, I'm doing so against my flesh. Now, the mindset of the flesh is death. It's true, right? The flesh is inclined to the sin nature, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. We see this in the epistles. So the mindset of the flesh ultimately is death. You eat pizza every single day, you're going to die, <laughs> right? Right. I use that I use that sarcastically. What I mean to say is like if all you ever do is gratify, gratify, gratify your flesh's endless desires, you become like those described in the epistles as the one whose God is your stomach and it's never satisfied. The flesh never gets enough. And this is ultimately sin when it's full grown leads to death. Every sin path beginning with a seemingly innocuous temptation, a seemingly benign act will tumble down the rabbit hole into full-blown sin that leads to death. That's the ultimate outcome of all of our sin. But the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. Isn't that remarkable? There's no peace in the mindset of the flesh. No amount of drugs will ever be enough for you. No number of dopamine kicks will ever satiate you. But the Spirit will give you peace the peace that you feel in your heart. I've been there at Capital City Park, downtown Seattle, watching a guy walk out of his tent, telling me and the team there, I am possessed by multiple demons, sharing the gospel with him, seeing him saved, giving him a meal, and then watching the team come and pick him up to take him to his new halfway house and on the job training. His name is Aiden. Man, ask me, like that Saturday morning, get in a time machine and ask, like, Jesse, would you rather be back at home on the couch right now? <laughs> and the answer is absolutely not. Do you, do you think that the peace that I felt standing there in Capital City Park, surrounded by a bunch of homeless people with sharp objects, 
if I felt more at peace there than I would have on my own couch? And the answer is absolutely. The mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. The flesh is just going to lead you to death. The mindset of the spirit is going to lead you to life and peace. That peace that you're pursuing so much in worldly things, it will never happen. You will never achieve it. You will never experience it. It's impossible. The, the, the flesh is, is unable to experience that peace because the, the flesh is unable to submit to the law of God. We were born with a proclivity unto sin that will never be satiated. Those who are in the flesh, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. There it is in context. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit gives life because of righteousness. The acts of righteousness, the deeds, the actions that flow from the spirits and dwelling within you, these give you life. It's, it's a paradox, isn't it? That by denying our flesh, denying ourselves, taking up our crosses, following Jesus, we take hold of the life that is truly life. We get more life out of going to feed the homeless and seeing someone saved and delivered from drug addiction and demonic possession than we do sitting on the couch. It's ironic, but it's true. It's true. And if the spirit of him, this, uh, and if the, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. This is where evangelism begins. This is where your evangelistic fruit begins. The sacred conversations begin with the Holy Spirit of God living in you. So listen to him. When he tells you to get off the couch, to go do something else, to go do something fruitful, to use your gifts in the church, to bring up the gospel with a coworker, do it because you're going to find life and peace in that that you would never have found hiding in the carnal desire. When you have that apprehension about going there, that fear of rejection, or perhaps even occupational reprisals for talking about Jesus. Come on, we're Americans. That's the flesh. That's the flesh. The love of God within us casts out fear. His perfect love casts out all fear. And this desire to never bring up the gospel, to never say anything, to never post anything on social media that would label you as a Christian in front of your coworkers, that is the flesh. That desire, that prompting, that wild hair that says, I think I'm going to talk about Jesus. That's the spirit of God. Don't come across like a wacko, but by all means, do follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And don't, don't, don't let the mindset of the flesh be what keeps you from ever having a sacred conversation.